Drug use is a choice that the overwhelming number of Americans make most of us many times in our lives. So the reason the Starbucks line is so long at the airport is because of caffeine, which is a drug. Vaping, cigarettes, legalization of marijuana, alcohol, cocaine at the party. Drug use is a choice that many Americans make. And so we blame people for still making the choice, but people don't choose to lose their family. They don't choose to suffer. They don't choose to be in emotional and physical pain. That compulsive use, despite those consequences, is what defines the illness of addiction. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. And thanks for listening in as we talk with leaders on addiction is a book by Dr. Nzinga Harrison, a revolutionary guide that will change the way we understand, talk about, and overcome substance use disorders. Drawing from a wealth of well-researched studies and years of personal experience, Dr. Harrison uncovers the intricate factors that predict a person's risk of falling into addiction from genetics and early experiences to the surroundings we grow up in. Injuries, discrimination, and cultural influences, she delves deep into the roots of this widespread issue. Through personal stories and eye-opening data on addiction, challenges our preconceived notions about substance use. It breaks down the stigma surrounding addiction and encourages vital conversations that have the power to combat this growing epidemic. Dr. Harrison gives you the exact words you need to use for the vital conversations, and that's the taglines, six mind-changing conversations that could save a life. So the first one, talks that can prevent addiction. Number two, how to speak your feelings and support your friends. Number three, talking about your environment. I love this since she'll go into it in here. Are you a flower or a weed? Number four, the talk with your doctor. Number five, the safe space talk. And number six, how to start a cultural revolution. And what I love about this conversation is her book explores the surprising ways DNA impacts the biological risk of substance abuse, explains how childhood experiences can serve as predictors for additional risk, examines the significance of the environment in relation to substance abuse, illuminates the impact of prescription pills, discusses the relationship between adversity and the increased likelihood of chronic illness, and the various cultural environmental factors from social media to national holidays that encourage risky substance use. Dr. Nzinga Harrison has a revolutionary guide that will change the way we understand, talk about, and overcome substance use disorders. Welcome. Thank you so much, Lori. Glad to be here. Your book is called Unaddiction. Six mind-changing conversations that could save a life. Why don't you tell us what brought you to this work, and then we'll talk about your book. I always start in childhood, which is so funny. People are like, how does this happen? Um, but I decided to be a doctor really young. I thought I'd be a pediatrician um, because that was the only doctor I knew, didn't have doctors in my family. And then I met my orthopedic surgeon, though thankfully I avoided surgery for scoliosis when I was 12. 
And he was exactly the kind of doctor that I wanted to be compassionate, saw me, involved me in decision-making, even though I was only 12. And so I went to medical school with intention to be a surgeon. But when I did my psychiatry rotation, I was flabbergasted, honestly, at how much harm the healthcare system was causing people with mental health conditions and specifically substance use disorders. And that really opened my eyes that, oh, it's not just the healthcare system that is treating these folks in a way that is harmful. It's everybody in everyday life with stigma, all of the other systems we have. And so that was really when I developed my professional passion as a third year medical student for addictions. I think now that I'm a psychiatrist, I can look back at my own family history, mental health conditions, addictions on both mom's side and dad's side, how the family handled those. And I can know that I was destined to be an addiction psychiatrist. <laughs> my childhood determines it. Do you say this is a revolutionary model? So tell me what's different. Yes. So the first thing is that um, this is not a textbook. So like, yes, I'm a doctor. I wrote a book. It has lots of facts and education in it. It's not a textbook. Six mind-changing conversations rest on the fact that we have to talk about addiction if we want to make a difference in addiction. Right now, stigma is so high that it is incredibly hard for someone to even ask themselves, do I want to make a change with the way I'm using insert substance, let alone tell someone else, let alone ask for help. And all of these things really are contributing to the terrible outcomes and high death rates that we see. I made up this word, unaddiction. I love it. The un is unlearning what we think we know, undoing the stigma that is killing people and uncovering the conversations we need to have. So what's revolutionary about this book is addiction is a chronic medical illness just like diabetes, asthma, high blood pressure, I give the data around that, has biological, psychological, and social things that we're born into. And those things in our adulthood, those underpin the six conversations. And compassion is healing. So the traditional approach to substance use disorder has been punitive and judgmental and stigmatic. I don't know, a stigmatic a word? Did I make it up? Well, it is now. Now we've now we've got two new words. <laughs> Stigmatic, stigmaful, stigma-laden. <laughs> so the revolution is against that. We hear about stigma all the time. And even we have, have this in my family. We have one person who's homeless and addicted. And people who love him say it's his choice. Right. So talk and about drug that. Use, drug use is a choice. And in fact, drug use is a choice that the overwhelming number of Americans make at least once in our lives, most of us many times in our lives. So the reason the Starbucks line is so long at the airport is because of caffeine, which is a drug. Vaping, cigarettes, legalization of marijuana, alcohol, cocaine at the party. Drug use is a choice that many Americans make. Some of us have a set of risk factors, biological, psychological, environmental, that put us at risk for that choice turning into a disease, the illness of addiction. And so it can be so hard for people to tease apart when that choice becomes an illness. And so we blame people for still making the choice, but people don't choose to lose their family. They don't choose to suffer. They don't choose to be in emotional and physical pain. 
that compulsive use despite those consequences is what defines the illness of addiction. Really rest in the importance of understanding addiction as no different from diabetes, asthma, high blood pressures. 40 to 60% of your risk of developing an addiction is coded in your DNA the day you're born. That risk turns into addiction when there are psychological and environmental factors. And the environment is your physical environment, but also cultural factors that push that over the ledge. And so 40 to 60%, the same or actually a little bit higher for addiction than it is for asthma, diabetes, high blood pressure. The relapse rates for substance use disorders at one year, lower than asthma, diabetes, high blood pressure. The success rate, 75% of people with substance use disorder enter recovery and remission higher than diabetes, asthma. So it really is the way we think about addiction that's handcuffing us. Because if we can think about it the same way as these other illnesses, take what we think is that there's one way to treat addiction and you get that one treatment and if that doesn't work, that's because you didn't wanna get better. What if there was only one chemo regimen for cancer? No matter the kind of cancer you had, no matter your DNA, no matter your psychological situation, no matter your support system, your environment, there's one chemo regimen, breast cancer, lung cancer, colon cancer, thyroid cancer, malignant melanoma, skin cancer, there's one. And we give you that one regimen and it doesn't work because you don't want your cancer to go away. That is so validating because there's so many gaps in the recovery models. I mean, the heart was right in setting them up. But I've witnessed so many women that I've coached fall through the gaps because of which is what I think you said in the beginning has to do with compassion. That's right. And so the same thing, a person with cancer, we understand that as a terrible illness that is making that person suffer. It's making their loved ones suffer also. Naturally, compassion, empathy, what can I do to help? If we can get there for addiction, we will start to see the same strides that we've made in cancer treatment and addiction treatment. And it has to be personalized. Cancer treatments now are like, what's your DNA? You automatically get a therapist. What's your social situation? They're giving you nutrition and supporting your family. We can take that and apply it to this illness of addiction. What is it going to take to get there? Conversations. So that's why the tagline is six mind-changing conversations. I think before you can even have a conversation, you have to have an understanding. That's what I've really tried to do with, with the book Unaddiction. Like I said, it's written with vignettes and personal stories, stories of people that I've supported over the years, and of course, facts and statistics. But it is a super actionable book. So it says, if 40 to 60% of your risk of developing addiction is in your DNA, what do you do with that information? You create an addiction family tree. Well, talking about addiction in the family is kind of scary. Here's a script. And there's homework and there's a script. Psychologically, your childhood experiences matter well into adulthood for every chronic illness, addiction included. How do you score your childhood risk? Here's a scale. It's the ACEs. How do you talk to somebody about it? Can be scary to talk about those kind of traumas, abuse, and neglect. Here's a script. The book goes through those six conversations and it equips you 
with understanding and then it equips you with how to take action and a script to have that conversation. And I think if everyone just starts talking about addiction with the same language, that's how we ignite the revolution. I love that. We have to have safe boundaries. It means I love you. I see the devastation that this illness is causing you. I see the pain that it is rippling out. What can I do to help? And so when I was growing up, we have a lot of addiction. That was my grandmother's approach also. You can always come home. You cannot live home. But Christmas, we're all having dinner. You are my child. You can come home. And so I grew up with that on my mom's side. On my dad's side, it was pretend it's not happening. I think, yeah, seeing those two different approaches really has informed the way I approach supporting people with addiction and their family. But you put your finger on it, get well first. We can't ask people to earn their compassion by getting their illness in remission. We have to have compassion, period. One thing I've discovered is so many people coming out of addiction have what you brought up earlier, childhood trauma and ACEs. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? The ACEs study was done by, originally discovered by Dr. Felitti, and he we interviewed him for the book, and he's fantastic, and he's in the book. He stumbled on it by accident, right? And so he's an obesity doctor, weight loss clinic, and he used to ask all of his patients, when did your overeating or your obesity begin? Like, what was the age? And he accidentally asked a patient, what was the age at which she had her first sexual encounter? And she said some devastatingly low number, and it was clearly sexual abuse. Turn that later into he realized this connection between childhood sexual trauma and obesity. Fast forward to the ACEs study, which was thousands of people. And it's 10 different questions that are negative childhood experiences from abuse to losing a parent to divorce, to losing a parent to incarceration, to mental health substance use disorders, there are 10. A score of four or more means we are worsening your genetic risk. We are putting environmental and psychological risk on top of that. And we know upwards of 65% of people with addiction have experienced this trauma. It's likely even higher. We know 80% of people who are presenting for addiction care have some other mental health condition. So we have to be able to reach into those buckets with our interventions, with our compassion, with our care planning. Otherwise, it's like having nails in your tire and wondering why your tire keeps getting flat. Those are the nails that drive addiction relapse. An Addiction by Dr. Nzing Harrison. This book is not just information. It is, it's a roadmap really of conversations. You kind of mentioned this, but I think maybe you can go a little deeper. You talk about the exercises at the end of each chapter. Your inherited biological risk, the exercise in his addiction family tree. And you fill out this addiction family tree. So I have a script in there for you to have the conversation. But the action is, and when you're talking to your doctors today, so you're an adult now. That was your childhood inherited. You were born with that DNA. You're an adult now. How do you have a conversation with your doctor about your risk when you have a surgery and maybe need an opioid prescribed? Or when you're having trouble sleeping at night and the doctor mentions Xanax or Valium or Ativan as an option? 
And so it's really teaching people how to take this information and protect themselves and practice an ounce of prevention. But it's also, for example, another piece of homework in the book, I literally call it homework, is the CAGE questionnaire. So a lot of times we have this concept of addiction the most severe. You're lost your home, alienated from your family, unable to work, severe physical health consequences, severe mental health consequences. But like all illnesses, addiction is on a spectrum, mild, moderate, severe. And mild and moderate are now being called pre-addiction. And like all illnesses, we want to intervene as early as possible. When you first feel that breast lump on your monthly breast exam, we don't want you to wait for stage four cancer. The cage is like, helping people ask themselves, am I in pre-addiction? C, have you ever felt you should cut back? A, have you ever felt annoyed when somebody else mentioned to you, maybe think about how you're using that substance? G, have you ever felt guilty because you set a goal around that substance and you didn't hit that goal? And E, eye-opener from the moment you wake up in the morning, are you thinking about this substance? You only need one yes answer. And so there's an exercise in the book, do this cage on yourself or do this cage on someone you're concerned about. And if you get one yes answer, here's how you have the conversation in the mirror with yourself or with someone you care about. And so it goes deeply. How do you have a conversation with your children? There's scripts in there for toddlers, elementary, middle, high school, adult children. And so it just goes through teaching you how to have these conversations, how to start these conversations. It's okay to have these conversations not just okay, we have to. If we want people to stop dying of addiction at the rate people are dying of addiction, we have to have these conversations. Now, in your book, you have stories, you share stories to help anchor (laughs) the learnings. Do you have any uh, particular story you'd like to share? I won't spoil the whole book because (laughs) I want people to go out and buy it and read it. Um, Just tempt us a little. (laughs) Yes, I'll just tempt you a little bit. In the very, very, very early pages, when I talk about inherited biological risk, I tell the story of the vervet monkeys that live on the island of St. Kitt. And what's so funny is I've been teaching people about these monkeys for probably about 15 years. And now my sister's partner is from St. Kitts. So when he read that part in the book, he's like, we all know these monkeys. But so (laughs) these are monkeys that are at high risk for developing alcoholism. Monkeys. And so the videos on the web are of these monkeys. They go to resorts. They steal your drink. They drink until they pass out drunk. They get into drunken brawls with each other. The monkeys do. But so what's interesting about these monkeys is that some of these monkeys are teetotalers and some of these monkeys are recreational drinkers. And some of these monkeys have all of those negative consequences, passing out, drunken brawls, stealing drinks. And so I tell that because when you think of a monkey, you don't think moral shortcoming, bad choices. And so those kinds of vignettes are throughout the book. What is it you really, really want people to know? I want people to know that drug use is a choice and it's a choice that the overwhelming number of us make. Addiction is when a person who is vulnerable falls prey to an illness and it makes them suffer and it makes the people who care about them suffer. And if we can benchmark on that illness and that suffering, I hope that will naturally ping our compassion and empathy bone to understand this illness so that we can change the way we treat the people who have this illness. And honestly, so that we can hold the healthcare establishment accountable to developing treatments that address these six factors. That's beautiful. Who is this book for? 
this book is for everyone. So 46% of Americans know someone who is or has struggled with substance use disorder. That's one in two people. That's everybody. So this stigma, what's the word I used earlier? Stigmaful. This stigmaful idea that addiction is someone else's problem is just fake. It is all of us. It is not them. It is all of us. And so can we take care of ourselves and can we take care of each other? It is every single one of us. And so I wrote this book. If you're concerned about yourself, if you're concerned about a person you know, if you're concerned about your community, if you're a clinical person, a healthcare practitioner, a physician, a peer, a counselor, it is for everybody. Before we go, because we do have a few more minutes, I just noticed on number three, I'm talking about your environment. Are you a flower or a weed? Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I can click in that. And so are you a flower or a weed is this idea that uh, we see flowers and they're beautiful. And they're vibrant and they're colorful and we love them and we give them to each other to say, I love you. And we think inherently about that flower. It's remarkable. And we see a weed and we hate it. And we're like, you're choking out and we pour chemicals on it and we kill it. And we're like, Ugh, that weed sucks. We think the same way about people and people with addiction have been considered weeds. When in reality, if you look at a flower that is thriving, it has sunlight it has water, it has enriched soil, it has love from a gardener that plays classical music for it and talks to it every day, right? It is being showered with love and ideal environmental. That flower, something about it is inherently better than the weed. But if we can change our concept of the weed and we can see that weed survived and popped through a crack in concrete with no water, no soil, just like rubble, no one who loves it, like people hate it, right? And yet there it is, a survivor. That is remarkable. And if we can start to think about people who are living with and recovering from addiction as remarkable, that will change the way we think about them. That will change the way we feel about them. That will change the way we treat them. And for people with this illness, that will change the way they think about themselves. That will change the way they feel about themselves. That will change the way they treat themselves. That is so beautiful. This feels like hope because a lot of the girls, women that I've coached because of relapse and then even the people that in their houses, like no more, they have no more compassion. That's right. And so then they relapse and they feel like, okay, now nobody's going to support me. They go to a hotel and they overdose and die. Yeah. And it breaks my heart. And I I don't know what the answer is, but this feels like the answer. I hope it's the beginning of the answer for sure. But we have to do it. We have to do it. We're talking to Dr. Nzinga Harrison. Her book is called Unaddiction, and she has a lot of new words. <laughs> Thank I you. Making up words. I love it. Thank you so much. Dr. Nzinga's cage method or formula is so powerful that I wanted to go over it one more time. The letter C-A-G-E and how to have the conversations around it. The cage is like helping people ask themselves, am I in pre-addiction? C, have you ever felt you should cut back? 
A, have you ever felt annoyed when somebody else mentioned to you, maybe think about how you're using that substance? G, have you ever felt guilty because you set a goal around that substance and you didn't hit that goal? And E, eye opener from the moment you wake up in the morning, are you thinking about this substance? You only need one yes answer. And so there's an exercise in the book, do this cage on yourself or do this cage on someone you're concerned about. And if you get one yes answer, here's how you have the conversation in the mirror with yourself or with someone you care about. And so it goes deeply. How do you have a conversation with your children? There's scripts in there for toddlers, elementary, middle, high school, adult children. And so it just goes through teaching you how to have these conversations, how to start these conversations. It's okay to have these conversations. Not just okay, we have to. If we want people to stop dying of addiction at the rate people are dying of addiction, we have to have these conversations. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new. And join us again next week as we continue to talk with people who are making a difference.